Welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. I'm your host, Roger Abel, here with Elias Randall. And Elias, April is Financial Literacy Month. I know last night we did a show uh, that aired live on WMT 600, which is our weekly radio show, and we talked about this. And interestingly enough, I think it was two weeks ago on the same show, I brought up the idea that one of the issues I see with people and their money is that no one's ever taught them about it. And I know last night on the show, one of the things we talked about was you learn your money habits from the people that taught you. So if they weren't good with their money, how could they ever teach you to be good with your money? Right. It's probably either you learn good habits, right, and follow that. Um, I suppose some people maybe try to do the opposite of what was role modeled for them. But, yeah, that's where it starts. It starts with learning the good habits when you're young. Um, you know, I know April's financial literacy month. I know that's something I talk about with people a lot as I wish, I wish there was a bigger sense of urgency and, um, you know, like the education, whether it's elementary, middle school, high school, even college, a more sense of urgency to teach people about money capital markets, how they work. You should be saving some of your money too, instead of spending all of it. Um, so I think, yeah, I'm, I'm all for April being financial literacy month. I love that. I, I wonder if today, because of the amount of information available, not that there wasn't information available 20 and 30 years ago, but think about today. We have people like Dave Ramsey and Susie Orman and all of these people that have come up with ways for people to be better th with their money. One, I'd like to know, are people actually better with their money? Cause I think it's debatable, but two, because there's more information is it easier to learn about your money. People are listening to this show. There's however many podcasts out there that do the same thing or radio shows that do the same thing. Arguably there is more money, more information regarding money and how to handle it available than there ever has been in the past. The question is, is it helping people? Because sometimes it's hard to filter out what good information or good education about money actually is. It is. And there's, it's overwhelming, right? I think sometimes if I'm trying to learn about a topic and I'm, I work in the business, if I feel overwhelmed, I only imagine someone who doesn't understand all the, the, the lingo, the phrases people use, um, the different types of accounts. Um, cause you could just type in any generic Google search and you're going to get a lot of different topics. And I think that's one of the, that's probably a contributing factor is there's so much information available. A lot of people get overwhelmed. Maybe they don't know where to start or, or who to listen to, but I do think it, um, from that perspective, it does kind of lend to, you know, people like uh, Dave Ramsey and Susie Orman, whether I agree with everything they talk about or not is beside the point. But I do know people that pick a plan and stick to it, whether they follow either one of those people or someone else. I do think those financial celebrities do do a good job of getting people to at least start down a path and follow a plan and a, a program that will get them in the right direction, at least. Well, there's a, there was a survey done. It's called the PFIN index where they ask people financial literacy questions and 50, only 50% of the people 
could get 50% of the answers right. So think about that. Only half the people could answer, answer simple financial literacy questions. And one of the questions would stood out to me because this should be actually like fairly simple. It said, which of the following indicates the highest probability of getting a particular disease? There is a one in 20 chance. 2% of the population will get the disease. 25 out of every 1,000 will get the disease, or I don't know. Only 50% of the people could actually answer that question correctly, which that's just normal math and arithmetic. It makes me wonder if, like, when people start talking about money, if they just mentally their brain shuts down. Like, it's so stressful and they're so overwhelmed by it. They're just like, man, I don't even want to start to think about money. Just they go to this weird place and like, no, I I don't know the answer. Because, you know, when you, what's the default? The, for most people, the default is what's easy. It's easier for me not to think about it, so I won't. It's easy to not save my 401k, so I won't do it. I mean, think about what 401ks have done. They put the easy investment choices in there because people actually don't want to spend any time researching, and that's okay. But what's even more astonishing is that 50% of the people can't pass a financial literacy test why aren't 50% of the people having financial plans done and 50% of the people hiring financial advisors to do this for them? Because arguably, if you don't know something, then you will hire a professional. I don't know how to change my oil, hire a professional. I don't know how to give myself a root canal, I hire a professional. But when it comes to money, I can do it myself, but I can't do the normal financial literacy stuff. We've had people we've met with in the past that think they're gonna do this themselves. I've literally told people, whether you work with me or not, you can't do this themselves because they're talking to me about their money and they actually don't really know what they're talking about. I mean, I remember a specific person I had this conversation with. I'm like, whether you do this with me or not, you can't do this yourself. You don't know what you're doing. You're gonna make a huge mistake. So of all the do-it-yourselfers, I find a small percentage of people that claim to be a do-it-yourselfer, I feel are actually, I'm like, I'm 100% confident in them that they can do it themselves. Very few. I don't, yeah, I don't come across many people that I get that impression from. As long as I've done this, I've had two people that I turned away as clients. And not because they're not great people. I just told them, I said, I don't know as if I'm adding tons of value to you. So yeah, so two people in your 20-year career that you felt, you were confident they can just do it on their own. And they kind of wanted to. I think they wanted me to just give them the confidence, say, hey, you you don't need me to do this. Because we talk about the three reasons people actually do or hire an advisor. Time, knowledge, and desire. And that's what we become for people. Well, these two individuals, they were semi-retired. They really enjoyed doing it. And they had the knowledge. One of these wanted to become a financial advisor. And I said, well, you know, you understand being a financial advisor isn't just about managing money. It's about managing people too. How did they respond to that? They didn't become a finance. They did not become a financial advisor. One did. He's not a financial advisor anymore. So one of the people I know actually became a financial advisor, did it for like a year or two. He's like, yeah, that's not what I thought it was. Because as you know, you have to manage people as a financial advisor, and it takes a certain amount of time in your career to get stability where it's not really hard. 
and he just didn't want to have to find people to work with. Right. And that, that's the hard part. That's the hard part is, you know, finding people to work with. It's not helping people. Yeah. And really the money to me, the, the, um, the money and the investing part to me, that's probably one of the easier tasks that we do. But like you were just saying, managing people and, and their emotions and their questions. Cause a lot of times I'm always, when I'm meeting with our clients and people ask a variety of questions and some of my thought process, I'm always trying to understand the different personalities, the question they're asking, and then are they really asking me that? Or are they kind of hinting at something else that they're asking? So it takes a little bit of, I think, intuition too, to really understand how to meet someone where they're at and, and then deliver the information in a way that it's not too complicated, right? Because it's easy in our business to just start throwing terms and sounding smart and talking over people's head, but that's really not helpful for them. I think about how much, well, we, we, I don't remember where this chart was. We had a, this chart. It's probably like eight months ago. It was that chart that showed your level of confidence based upon how much you really know. And when you don't know anything, you actually, your confidence level that you're right about something's very high. And as you learn more about it, your confidence actually goes down because you start to realize there's so much that I really don't know. And then as you become an expert, it goes back up. Well, I think about where I am after doing this for 20 years. And every day, I'm literally learning new things. And I do this for eight to 10 hours a day. So then you go try to get an individual who thinks they're going to be really successful doing this themselves. And you have to ask, answer the question, how can I know more than that person? And arguably, you probably, if you're just an individual, need to know your own circumstance. And you probably could research your own individual circumstances. We're just researching for a lot of different people all the time based upon their circumstance. But there's so much to know. You're just, you can't know it all. It's just impossible. And things change. Just like recently they changed all of the stuff or all the ages regarding the RMD and when you have to take it. And they're going back and trying to change the RMD rules that they made two years ago regarding the 10-year limit and all these changes that are happening. How does a normal individual keep up to date and be educated about what's going on? My opinion is they should just delegate that part of their life. Of course they should start start working with someone. That's that's my honest opinion on. Well, that. and if you want to delegate it, you can go get us at btwellshow.com. Elias or I'll help you out. Um, but one of the another article I was reading as it pertains to financial education, I feel like the younger generation in this country, Gen Zers, I guess that's what they're called. We were having this conversation before the show of Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z. I never remember where I am. 18 to 25. Okay. So, but apparently I'm a Gen Xer, right? I think that's what I am. You're either a a young Gen Xer or an old millennial. You're probably like an in-betweener, really. I'm a tweener. Um, But I feel like this younger generation, Gen Z, 18 to 25, has taken an interest in investing and I don't know what the driving motive, driving factor of that is. Some of it, I tend to believe, is because of COVID. The rise of the day trader kind of came back. But at the same time, the financial services world 
is, you know, getting into the 2020s finally. And there's been more digital platforms and more engagement for the young person. Think about TikTok. TikTok didn't exist. Maybe it did exist five years ago. I hadn't heard of it. But when it started out, I think it was just for people to do dances. And now people are consuming their financial information and trying to learn on TikTok. And you know that I have somewhat of an issue with this because, you know, what's the credentials of somebody teaching you on there, number one? Nothing. It's nothing. You're right. But anyone can post a video. But we've done TikTok reviews before. Yes. There are some very, very good videos out there. And there's some that are really dangerous. And you have the the issue is you have to decipher what's accurate information and not. And somebody who's educated is going to go research it. But it just makes me wonder, are Gen Zers more interested in becoming educated on finances because of the amount of social media and um, videos that are geared towards them? in the way that they consume media. Our, our parents consume media on TV and newspaper. I consume my media, TV and internet. Gen Zers consume their media, social media. And I don't think they do TV like they do YouTube. You might be right, I'm, I'm not sure well, on that, but. No, I think so. My cousin lived with me, I don't know, like seven years ago. So he's like 30. And he was, he was um, a pharmacy student at the University of Iowa, and he's like, hey, mind if I live with you for a semester? You know, my lease is up. I just need a place to live. Yeah, okay, fine. So I set up this big TV for him in the bedroom, got him all set up. He's like, oh, no, no, I'm good. I just watch it on my computer. I'm like, what? He goes, well, yeah, I don't watch TV. I just watch everything on my computer. And that was the first aha moment, like, this is changing because this generation – doesn't care about the 50 inch TV I just set up in the bedroom for him. You know, when I was a kid, I just wanted the biggest TV I could have in my room. Yeah, you, you would have been fired up about that. I I was fired I'm good with up my for iPad him. so I can lay in my bed. Yeah, I was fired up for him about this TV. I was like, right. oh no, I'm good. I got my iPad or my computer, or whatever I have to consume my media on. The uh, the other thing I think to go along with what you're you were talking about, I think Robinhood and apps like that that have made trading so accessible and easy, especially to do it right on your phone. Now, some of the investor behavior on there, I'm either indifferent about, or I don't think it's successful long-term investing behavior, but I do think having access to that and starting to buy investments and be interested, um, you're going to learn that way. And younger people, Gen Z, the the vast majority of Gen Z um, adults, even if they have made some investing mistakes on Robinhood, you know, trying to chase a meme stock or whatever, hopefully they learn those lessons at a pretty low price. And most of them don't have any money, so the lessons they're learning, whether good or bad, um, you know, it's not that expensive at this point. Well, think about the number of people we've talked to, or at least I've talked to in the last year and a half, who have told me, hey, my son is doing this. My cousin was on our podcast, Mike Grimm of the Gophers. And if you remember, this is a year ago. So this is like 2021, right before the tournament. We usually have him on before the NCAA tournament. And he came on. He's like, oh, yeah, my son has been doing TikTok or been doing Robin Hood. 
but he was like 18 or 19 years old, I think. He was young. So I think it's great that they have the engagement, like you said, and they're going to learn their lessons when there's not a whole lot at risk, hopefully, for them. But here's some statistics that I think are actually interesting. Um, 54, 54% of Gen Z holds some kind of an investment. So that's a thumbs up that they've made some kind of an investment because I could tell you when I was 22 or 23 years old, I bet very few of my friends had investment. I was just trying to sell them investments when I was 23. It's virtually impossible. The mo- when I was 23 to go talk to my, my friend or whoever I knew when I got into the business about why they should start a Roth IRA and why they should put 50 or $100 or $250 a month into this you know, growth style investment when they could take it right down to the corner tavern and get some instant <laughs> gratification. I mean, I, I know this. So I think it's actually really good that 54% have made an investment. The problem is only one third feel confident that they can explain how the stock market works to a friend. And that's something to work on then, right? If you, you just have to spend time learning and engaging with financial media or research, there's plenty of books out there you can buy and read. You know, I'm happy that they're getting started, but I do believe someone should at least understand how the stock market works in general, if you're going to be an investor. So here's the other one that I think has caused Gen Z to just be interested in financial literacy and learning things. 25% of Gen Z holds cryptocurrencies and one in 10 owns an NFT. I'm guessing there's no other demographic in our population that one in 10 owns an NFT. I would like to know what that is for people 30 to 40 years old. I, I, I don't know. It's not, yeah, you're, it's not you one be, in 10. Yeah. So I'd be shocked if it was. It's probably one of those trends that people should watch because if they're adopting this, well, the generation below that will adopt it too at some point, I would guess. So I think those are good trends. But here's what's really, really stood out at me. Only 46% feel confident about their financial knowledge, which I wouldn't expect it to be more than that. They haven't been taught in school about finances. They probably took, what, one semester of financial management, maybe in high school, maybe two. I, I don't know what the curriculum is, but I know it's not four years. I, they're not, they don't have that level of education in high school. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I remember, I remember in high school learning how to balance a checkbook and doing workbooks on doing that. And that I've never done it outside of those classes. It's probably something I should do, but just with online banking and how easy everything is, that's kind of gone, gone to the wayside. Now in college, you know, I took plenty of finance classes, so I got plenty of education there, but not, you don't need that much probably in high school, but I think like some of that, like the 101 version of stuff, I would like to see more of that um, in high schools. And maybe I'm just not remembering right, but I don't think as a high schooler, I was learning about how the market works, what a mutual fund is, what a stock is, what a bond is. And if I did, I don't remember, um, don't remember engaging in that material anyway. And I don't know. I don't think there's any requirement in college. There's no requirement. The Well, other than the people taking business and finance and yeah, economics Yeah, obviously classes. if you're going right. into like business, you're. Those are the only people required to. 
so there's a chart in here, and I'll love Molly put this on the website, and it shows the level of confidence between Gen Z, Millennial, Gen X, and Boomers. Apparently, I'm a Gen Xer. They have the ages right here. I can never keep them straight. 46% of Gen Z is confident about their financial knowledge. Only 52% of Boomers are confident about their knowledge. So Gen Zers are almost as confident about their financial knowledge as a Boomer. That's kind of interesting. I, I wonder think, where I wonder where that where the confidence comes from. I would, I, but I would think that the older you get, the more confident you would feel about money. But then once again, if you're not constantly learning about it, you wouldn't feel more confident about it. I mean, right? Or this highlights the other chart you spoke about, where the more you learn, you realize the less you know. Well, yeah, this could goes, be a great example of that. It, it actually might be because it goes forty six percent for Gen Z. Millennials at 61%, and then Gen Xers, it falls to 54%, and then Boomers, it's 52%. And that, that chart started out as complete novice, and then know something, it kind of went up a little bit. Then it's like, I'm no more. And by the time they were an expert, they were well below their original confidence level. So that actually might be a really good representation of that chart. And I forget the name of the chart. We'll, we'll put it in the link in the description. Um, but this is a chart from Investopedia that we can go ahead and uh, put on the website. But here's another one about Gen Zers that's interesting. Um, one of the things they were most concerned about was taxes. And it's interesting to me because my guess is most people that are in Gen Z are making less than 50000 So why would taxes be your most important thing? That yeah, you're they're worried not about. Paying, you they're not paying barely any taxes. Right so why now. are you worried about it? Right. I, and, and once again, it goes back to probably where they're consuming their information. If they're consuming their information on social media. There may be a lot of social media posts about taxes because if everybody's concerned about it, what happens? More influencers and people on TikTok are going to post about it. Well, I mean, all the demographics are there to know what people are interested in looking at. Yeah, and it's one of. In general, it's one of people's favorite financial topics is taxes and how can you save money on taxes. And really, the kind of the harsh reality of it is a lot of people really don't need to be that worried about taxes. You know, until you get up to a higher income, you're not, you know, you're really not paying that much in tax anyway on a relative basis compared to people who are making a lot of money. So, Elias, one of the things about, you know, financial literacy is sometimes people believe a financial decision like retirement is all about the money, but it's not always about the money. There's a lot of important things about retirement that are non-financial for people. Could be, you know, are you wanting to stay home? Do you want to spend time with family? Do you want to travel every now and again? And we've run across this a lot recently when we're putting together our one-page financial plans and that we really try to talk to people about when you think about retirement or what you want to do in retirement, it doesn't matter if you're 25 or 35 or 45 or 50, you need to think ahead about this stuff. What do you want to do? What do you want retirement to look like? I'll give you a great example of why it's important for people to look farther ahead than what they think they need to. We have a client that we did a financial plan for about a year and a half ago. And his primary concern was, when I retire, I want to own an airplane, and I need to figure out how I'm going to pay for the airplane. 
So we had to build a normal retirement plan for this individual. Like how do we live on it? But then we built out a secondary goal that said, how are we going to fund one, the purchase to the insurance and maintenance of this airplane. And we had to figure out how many years he was going to own the plane for. And there's a lot of blue sky there, but he was thinking about what do I want my retirement to look like? And most people don't give a whole lot of thought to this question when they start thinking about retirement, whether they're 25 or 35 or 40, it's just how much money do I need to retire? Yeah. And I think that's more important. The things you want to do, what do you want to spend your time doing? Especially if the clients we work with, they've already delegated the money management and the distribution strategy. Um, hopefully they're delegating, you know, the concerns and that type of stuff too. And, but then at that point you really got to know, what do you want to do with your time? What are you going to, what are your hobbies going to be? Are you going to work part-time? And that's a, it's a really interesting aspect of our job is learning what people like to do, learning what they're doing. Um, and as they transition, cause I think it's a big, I actually just told someone the other day, um, they're just a little nervous about transitioning into retirement, which that's a pretty normal feeling. A lot of people get nervous about that. And, and I said to them, I honestly, I don't know what it feels like. I've never retired, but I know what it feels like to go to work every day. Right. So I'm sure once you get to that point, it's a little scary. Oh, I'm not, I'm not going to be busy with what I was busy with before. So you do have to fill your time. You can't just like sit on the couch and watch TV. At least I don't think you should or can. I don't think well, I could. No, I'm, I'm with you. And I believe people need to have realistic expectations. So a good example of someone I know, they retired early, like 60, not like real early, but early. They just, they didn't like where they were working anymore. Things had changed. So they're like, well, I can afford to retire. So I'm going to retire. And they thought they were going to play golf the whole time in retirement. And that worked really well for the first summer. Yeah. And they live in Iowa. They live in here, Iowa and yeah. they don't, they don't snowbird and November came around. Guess what happened? They went and got a part-time job. Probably a good thing. I asked them if they would have retired and they said, well, had I known it was really going to be like, maybe not, maybe I would have tried to go part-time or I would have had something else lined up than just retiring, going and getting a part-time job. Now they like this job they have now, but it wasn't ideally what they were going to do. They were just trying to find something to stay busy in the winter because their ideal retirement wasn't sitting around watching Judge Judy all afternoon. I've also read, I think I read or I've seen a YouTube interview about it, but some people do a practice retirement. Like they'll save up a bunch of paid time off and then just take a month off they're thinking about retiring in a couple of years. So then they'll, you know, they'll take like a full month off and just kind of do a practice run to see how they like it. That's if you could do that, if you have the, the vacation time or you could work it out with your employer, that might be a good strategy too. just do a practice retirement. Isn't that a thing with young people where they go work really hard and then they take like a month or two off? I thought we, we read an article somewhere where it's just like a thing where they'll go, work for a couple of years and then switch jobs and take two or three months off and then go work hard again. And maybe that, maybe that'll become a type of retirement for people as we live longer. You think about the stress people are going to have in their retirement dollars. You know, we, we always view retirement. Oh yeah. 59 and a half. That's when we can touch our IRAs. That's when we could retire. Well, when was, when did that start? 
what was life expectancy? If all of a sudden we start seeing life expectancies creep from 90 to 95 to 105, like we're not to 90s life expectancy yet, but it's up over the last 15 years. What if life expectancy is 100? Is the retiring at age 60 still going to be realistic for people? It's going to become much harder. Yeah. So then yeah, maybe be more we, difficult. Maybe we start to see people or people design their retirement. Hey, I'm going to take retirement at 40 to 45 and spend five years with my kids, or I'm going to work and take retirement from 60 to 70 and go back and work. I don't know, but maybe retirement's going to be reinvented for people at some point. But they should have an idea. You know, we talk about, think about this. When you retire at 60, you've got a number of really good years to enjoy retirement. You know, you think, oh, I'm retired forever. It's all going to be fun. Well, what you can do at 60, you probably can't do when you're 80. Yeah, you're going a lot harder in life at 60 to 65 than 80 years old. So maybe you just want to go take off from 60 to 70, really enjoy it, and then go back and work a part-time job somewhere from 70 on to just supplement because you're probably not doing a whole lot anyway. Yeah, I, I know what I want to be doing at that point. I'll uh, golf course attendant. Yeah, I knew it. I'll golf, and then uh, even if I live around here in the winter time, hopefully I'll get a job in the clubhouse, like bartending. And yeah, I mean that seems ideal. My wife always asked, "What would I do if I didn't do this?" And I always told her, "I just work at Shields in the fishing department." I go in my garage not, and you would not make any money if you did that. You would you you would spend your paychecks while you're at work. I worked at Finn and Feather, which was the local um, outdoor shop in Cedar Rapids when I was in college. I never got a paycheck. I mean, I got an employee <laughs> discount, but I never got a paycheck. It was spent it was, by the time you got it. No, back then, literally, there'd be like a little door and whatever I saw that I wanted, I could just put it on hold in this door and I'd hold it there until my paycheck came whenever they paid me. So I'd already have a stash in this door, like nobody touched this. And then when it's my payday, then I just take it up to the counter and I buy it all. But you're probably their favorite employee of all time. I kind of think most of the people that work at those places, it's all about the employee discount. I don't really think yeah. it's about the money. Um, probably. But with that said, I, I think that people learning about their relationship with money, being more educated about it can help them make, better financial decisions. If someone doesn't want to learn about this, then arguably they should just hire somebody to do it. Um, it should raise your confidence level. If anybody wants help doing it, you can go to btwellshow.com. We're happy to give someone a consultation. Um, with that said, do you have any other closing remarks, Elias? Um, I don't. I mean, April's financial literacy month and it probably would, anyone listening, it would pay to, uh, you know, just learn a little bit about investing money, maybe think about how you could save a little bit more and, and help yourself out. I mean, honestly, if somebody just said, hey, I'm going to spend one hour a week and learn something new in the world of money or finance or budgeting or whatever it is, it would vastly improve their outlook financially over the long term. So Absolutely. with that said, I want to thank everybody for listening and uh, hope everybody enjoyed the show. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results.
All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.